You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We're in the book of Acts, the New Testament book of Acts, and we're in chapter two and where the Holy Spirit shows up, the church springs into being. People are born again. They become together the people of God. But what is the church and what do good churches look like? Well, one of the most important decisions you will ever make, well, the most important decision is who is Jesus to you to answer that question. But another really important question that you will answer in your life is what church will you call home for your faith? And this can change over your lifetime because you can move as a family. You may uh, go away to college. You may find that the church that you've been a part of just continues to veer from Scripture and you aren't challenged and, and growing anymore. Whatever the reason, one of the most important decisions you will make is where to call home for your faith. And in order to find a good one, first you need to know, well, what does a good church comprise? As we continue this series through the New Testament book of Acts, today we're going to see what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up and awakens people to the love and salvation of Jesus and what happens when the Holy Spirit is present among God's people. This whole event is that we're going to read about today comes on the heels of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. We read last week, you heard it, where Peter gave such a stirring sermon that it is described that the people were cut to the heart. And then they asked the disciples, what should we do? Here's where our story picks up. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's the definition of a Christian. You receive the Holy Spirit, you believe in Jesus, you repent of sin, and you demonstrate that through baptism. Peter goes on to say, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord your God will call. That's the end of Peter's sermon at that point. And then Luke tells us, the author of Acts, with many other words. Now, let me pause here because you know what this phrase means. It it seems that what is recorded in the Bible as sermons are many times just sermon summaries, okay? So the sermon tended to actually be longer than what you would read as the transcript in the Bible. Some of you will read the Bible and be like, man, those sermons are really short. Paul's are not. Paul must not be biblical. (laughs) Oh, no. Right here in the Bible, (laughs) I'm happy to point out to you, it says with many, how many words? Many other words. (laughs) Hours. (laughs) Ha, ha. 
Remember the old, remember the, the story um, recorded in Acts, the Apostle Paul is preaching until midnight and a guy falls out of a window three stories. Paul stops preaching, goes down, revives the guy and continues preaching until dawn. You're welcome that my sermons are short. <laughs> with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves. Now, we really need to pay attention to that word devoted. It calls to mind an ongoing, continual, habitual lifestyle. This isn't like middle school where you're three years, some of you five or six, you're done and you go on with the rest of your life. Christianity is an ongoing lifestyle of Bible study and repentance of sin and generosity and worship of Jesus and friendship with God's people. All the things that we're going to examine in this text are about an ongoing, habitual, new lifestyle. So let's read the rest of this text and then we'll come back and pick up other pieces. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jesus dies for sin, not his, for ours. And then Jesus rises from death. After he ascends into heaven, he sends the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, the church springs into being, people are born anew, and they become together the people of God. And that's what we see right here in this new covenant church. And so we're going to look at Jesus's church that's empowered by the spirit. And we're going to notice, first of all, it is Jesus's church. It belongs to him. Not to you, not to me, not to us. It belongs to him. So we want to hear from him, follow him, obey him, and love and serve the church because Jesus loves the church and Jesus serves the church. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at Jesus's church. What are the marks of Jesus's church? What are the evidences of the Holy Spirit that brings Jesus's church into existence? We're going to see six things. And number one is that it reveals Jesus. Remember in Peter's sermon last week, it was all focused on Jesus that it's what the early church did. And then we read this week that they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. So there's preaching and teaching from the Bible, and it's all pointing to Jesus. And every mark of the church, every evidence of the Holy Spirit bringing the church into being, it all points back to Jesus so what we're talking about here is that they have God's word and they're looking at the scriptures 
And those scriptures reveal Jesus. The first mark of Jesus' church is that it reveals him. Benton Heights, we are a Bible-believing church, right? If you're new to us, we believe the Bible is the only book that God wrote through human authors. We believe that it is perfect in its authority, that everything else is subject to the Bible. And the big idea of the Bible is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him. It's for us, but it's about him. So I want you to see that through the preaching and teaching, the, co- the church comes into existence. People are simply not born. None of us are born with an innate ability to understand who Jesus is. That has to be preached to us. That has to be taught to us. We have to learn who Jesus is and what he has done. And all that is recorded perfectly for us by the Holy Spirit in the pages of Scripture. And what we can take from that is that where there is biblical preaching and teaching, all pointing to Jesus, there's the church. Without there being preaching and teaching solely on Jesus, then we are nothing more than a social club, a civic organization, a cause-oriented group. Instead, we are the church of Jesus Christ. Just like the world was brought into being by God's word, so the church gets into its own being through God's word being preached. And here it is. Peter is opening the Old Testament. He is articulating the promises, the prophecy from that Old Testament that's all pointing to Jesus and showing everyone that it's ultimately about him. The second mark of Jesus' church is that we belong to Jesus through the church. Here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to come and life comes by the giving of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. This is about Jesus' people. You know, the world is filled with people, right? The world is filled with people, but not all people believe in Jesus. They're not all Jesus' people. Not all people love Jesus, believe in Jesus, belong to Jesus, seek to obey Jesus. So there's a line in the Bible from what a a distinction, a distinguishing line between what is referred to as the world, those who don't know Jesus, at least not yet, there still can be salvation, it's not too late, and the church, those who do belong to Jesus. This is an important distinction. So every Sunday, everyone's welcome. Every Bible study class, Sunday school class, youth group, everyone is welcome. Lord's Supper, not everyone's welcome, those who are Christian. 
to receive the sacrament of baptism. Again, not everyone. It's those who believe in Jesus. Church membership, you've got to be a Christian. Church leadership, you've got to be a Christian. We love, serve, welcome anyone who walks through these doors. But there is a line between life and death, between unbelief and belief. So my question to you is, are you a member of a church? And we're talking about being a part of a family. Church is family. It's, I'm going to love my brothers and sisters. I'm going to look after my family and I'm going to figure out what the Father has for me in this family. Jesus loved the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is coming back again for the church. Most of the New Testament letters were written to churches. Are you a member? If not, we would love to have you. So we invite you to do so. The third mark of Jesus' church is community. Verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So fellowship is where we welcome believers and breaking of bread and the prayers is a time of the community getting together. So they're getting together. They're, there's love for each other. They serve one another. They, they look after one another. They do life together. And then it says all the believers were together, community. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. I mean, all of this is just language of community. And what we're talking about here is a reflection of Jesus' kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, all of Jesus' people are going to be together forever. In Jesus' kingdom, we're all going to be together eating with gladness. There's a huge celebration. It's a meal around Jesus. When we get together in community... It's called fellowship for God's people. The Greek word for that is koinonia. And it means fellowship, but in a broader sense of of life and unity and love and sacrifice and joy. It's about a foreshadowing, a foretaste of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, we will be together with him forever. But let me say this. Sometimes in community you're going to drive one another nuts. You're going to. Don't get this idealized picture of the church. Heaven, on the other hand, will be amazing because those people who drive you nuts now will be better in heaven than they are in your Sunday school class or sitting on the pew next to you. So when you show up to some ministry or event here at the church, Don't think, oh, this will be amazing. Those people are like perfect. This will be like heaven. No, it won't. You're going to drive them nuts. They're going to drive you nuts. That's just the way it is. (laughs) Welcome to the family of God. But we work it out. We work our sin out. We work things through together. We realize, man, I... I've got some stuff that I've got to work through. You've got some stuff you've got to work through. The fourth mark of Jesus' church is energized worship. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. 
do you get this? People are like, wow, that's amazing. Someone got healed. God answered prayer. Someone got saved. God's at work. We are not alone. God is here and he's doing things in people's lives. And they were amazed by this. They are filled with gladness over that. And look, we believe that God can and does still heal. So we pray for healing. We believe that those who are oppressed by unclean spirits can be delivered. God answers prayers. We see God helping, serving, loving, healing, providing for people. And when he does, a sense of awe comes over us. We're like, that's amazing. God loves us and he's here with us. To be clear, we don't chase signs and wonders. Hey, what's the next big thing? What's the, let me go see what this. We believe that signs and wonders are a result of chasing after Jesus. It goes on to say, verse 47, that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Praising God, that's the language of worship, right? And what we're talking about is the worthiness of Jesus. No one and no thing is like Jesus. No one does what Jesus does. He alone is worthy of our worship. Now, here's the truth. Even those who are not Christian worship. They worship someone, maybe boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, child. They worship something, job, health, beauty, pets, income, sports team. Everyone is going to worship. There's something you're going to give your life to, your energy, your time, your talent, your treasure. You're going to give yourself away. Here, when they praise God and acknowledge the greatness of Christ, what they are doing and what we are doing is acknowledging that he alone is worthy of our worship. So it's great when sports teams get together and there's cheering and there's, there's reveling in and, and just rejoicing over things. But for us, we never get over the fact that God loves us in Christ, that God came to us in Christ, that God died for us in Christ, God rises for us in Christ, that God embraces us in Christ, and that God is coming again, and his name is Jesus Christ. We never get over that. We sing, and we celebrate, and we rejoice. This includes private worship, where you sing and celebrate. It includes public worship, where we sing and celebrate. Now, worship isn't solely singing. I know that, but it certainly includes it. So let me ask, when you come on Sunday, are you thinking of reasons to praise God, reasons to thank God, reasons to rejoice and celebrate God? Some of you look at your life circumstances, you're like, man, it's hard. I get it. But imagine if you didn't have Jesus. Imagine if you didn't know Jesus. Imagine if you thought this is all there was to life. And then you die and you cease to exist and that's it. 
could be worse. Anything that we are going through is way worse if we don't know that Jesus is with us, Jesus loves us, Jesus is for us. So there's always reason to praise and to celebrate. The fifth mark of Jesus' church is generosity. Huge generosity in their, in their um, way of looking at it. Here are the next couple of verses. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold everything in possession. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Now, that's generosity. They're remembering that God is the most generous giver ever. God gave us the earth. God made us in his image and likeness. God, even when we sinned against him, did something. He gave us his son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Here comes Jesus, and he lives without sin, and he gives us his life, and then he dies, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit as he gives us his righteousness, as he's returned to heaven. He gives us the people of God. He's preparing a place for us. He's got more gifts for us. There is going to be an inheritance in the kingdom that never ends. Once you know Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, unless you fight against the Holy Spirit, he awakens in you a desire to be generous. You're like, man, I've been given so much. I've got to give. Here we see God's people being hugely generous. They're giving of their possessions to other people. Some of them are selling their possessions and they're giving proceeds to other people. You're going to see in a few chapters that they're even selling land and giving that to people in need. Large gifts, huge generosity. Now let me say this. Immediately there will be at least one person who will hear this and be like, Huh, communism. No, not communism. And that person would be like, well, well, they didn't own that stuff. It was just like all in one big pot and you got to take whatever you wanted to out of it. No, that's not the way it worked. Communism denies private property ownership. In communism, the state owns your house, your land, your everything. Does the Bible believe in private property ownership? Yes. Thou shalt not steal. What does that mean? It's not yours. <laughs> Don't take it. That's stealing. So the Bible does not believe in communism, but generosity. Your house, your car, your income, your possessions, those are yours as gifted to you by the Lord. So the church doesn't have the right to come and say, you know, look, I can't come to your house and say, you know what? I was reading Acts 2. I like your car. Give me the keys. We have no right to take, but you're invited to give. You see the difference. This is where you give and where you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you love the church and you love God's people. You're willing to give. And then lastly, the sixth mark of Jesus' church, it's about making disciples. Our mission as a church, because Jesus gave it to us, 
has always been to make disciples. We want people meeting Jesus, people becoming more like Jesus. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Prior to that, how many disciples were there? 120. In one day, it goes from 120 to over 3,000. They don't have enough leaders. They don't have enough buildings. What a mess. And there are people who are showing up. They're like, oh my goodness, everything's changed. I'm frustrated. Where's my seat? How come I can't speak to the apostles on my own anymore? They're very frustrated. How do I know? Because they blogged about it. They put false reviews online. People submitted their frustration because of all the transitions. But you know what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing when the family grows. Yeah, more kids means more mess and more problems, but it also means more joys. You know what I'd rather have? A growing family rather than a never-changing, slowly dying family. Last verse to see. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's not about the numbers. It's the fact that to Jesus and to us, people matter. And it matters that more people meet Jesus. So here's the big idea. Kings and kingdoms will come and go. Businesses and headquarters will come and go. Stadiums and teams will come and go. But the church of Jesus Christ endures forever. It's the biggest thing in the history of the world. It's the one thing that Jesus started. He started the church. It's the one thing he dies for. It's the one thing that Jesus loves. And it's the one thing that will end only when everything else does. And what I mean by that is that when everything ends... We won't need the church on earth because that's where all of God's people will be in God's kingdom singing his praises because they are God's people. Are you one of God's people? Have you given Jesus your sin so that you could get his life? You can pray for that right now. All of us need to. All of us need to pray. Jesus, take my sin. Give me your life. But maybe there's some of you who have not done that fully, have never really surrendered your life to let Jesus take over, to let him be the Lord of your life, to know that he died on the cross, in your place for your sins. There's nothing you need to do. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough. You simply let him in. And I guarantee you that is a prayer he will answer. If you pray, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of running away from you. 
I'd rather turn my back on my sin and turn my face towards you. Will you come in to my life? Will you come into my heart? Jesus will answer that with a resounding yes. And you will no longer be the same. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.